You are listening to WCB Newsline. All right. Well, I just want to say a huge welcome to everybody that showed up today. It sounds like we have a really big crowd. So thank you for taking some time to join us today. First of all, I would like to give a huge shout out to the Newsline Committee. We have an amazing committee, and I'm so proud of every single one of them, and they are all here today. So just thank you for your hard work this year and hopefully for the upcoming year as well. Secondly, I would like to say a giant thank you to every single person who wrote anything, submitted anything to this newsline over the past year, because that is what makes the newsline what it is today. You guys are amazing and your writing literally just keeps getting better and better and better. So thank you all for your hard work and submissions and uh, putting up with my crazy theme ideas. (laughs) Um, I know that sometimes they're a little off the wall, but I think it makes you guys better writers to think out of the box. So thank you for that as well. So hello, Reggie, would you like to say hello? Hello, enjoy when we all can get together and listen to these articles together and have a a dialogue with our writers and the readers and get everybody's comments and feedback and and why you like certain things and and just have that time to do this. That's why we kind of started this whole thing. So Before we move on to the actual Reader's Choice Award nominees, there was a couple other things that we wanted to give some shout outs to. First, we wanted to say again, for our Editor's Choice Award this year at convention, we chose an article called Stress by Everett Elam, which was an amazing article. But we also had two other articles that were really in the top running for that award, and we just kind of wanted to give them an honorable mention today. So Reggie's going to tell you what two articles those were and why we love them. And uh, one of them was the article by Judy Brown in the fall issue that hopefully you just read, the, uh, The Sound of Silence. And she was talking about working in the hospital during the pandemic and just what it was like being there, <laughs> practically the only um, people there after every, everybody had left. And it was just really haunting. And uh, she really did a great job of, of conveying that atmosphere. And the other one that we thought was award-winning writing was the one that Mark Adrian wrote last winter in our 50th anniversary. And I think it was called uh, Mining on 50th Anniversary. And it was envisioning what the future would be like for a blind person in a perfect world, like, you know, 50 or 70 years from now. And 
waking up and it was it was almost like a science fiction story <laughs> in in a in a perfect world or or just you know what things could be like if if everything worked out and that was also really imaginative and creative and it was just a really good story all right thank you reg the one other thing that we wanted to do before we get to the the nominees is there's a little category of writing that I absolutely love and it's called poetry and every now and then we get little poems that come in that are just like wow but unfortunately I think they get overlooked a lot when we're voting for you know the favorite articles so there was one that came in that we also wanted to mention by Yvonne Miller that I'm gonna go ahead and have Steve read just because we can so go ahead Steve Okay, all right, so this is called Sweat Lodge Sounds, a poem by Yvonne Miller. Summer evening at home, kicking back in my bedroom, listening to the drums, the neighbors beating in rhythm, gathering in the sweat lodge. Boom, 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 boom. Echoing beats like the heartbeat, drifting sounds in my room. It is soothing to my soul each weekend they sit to sweat. Prayers go up with each beat. Sunnier clouds that sometimes may be gloom does not matter at all. Good medicine prevails, always in a good way to call, follow the trail of the red road. Creator listens and reveals, we are told. The ancestors reside on the other side of the veil, whispering truth and wisdom. Their voices echo like the drums, boom, 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 boom. Thank you, Steve. And thank you, Yvonne, for submitting that poem. I just loved it. So if everybody's ready, we're going to go ahead and get right into the articles. We're going to go in a sequential order, winter, spring, summer, fall. And after each article, we're gonna open that up for discussion, hoping that the authors of those articles are with us and can answer any questions. Or if you have comments, we'll just open that up for a few minutes before we move on to the next one. So on that note, I'm gonna turn it over to Steve. All right. All right, okay. this is from the winter, winter edition of Newsline. It's called Too Hot to Handle by Frank Chuda. Blast glowing for many may bring to mind a handsome young dude somewhere in a Mediterranean country wearing thick leather gloves and blowing into existence a beautiful flask through a long tube that he constantly keeps rotating. The brilliant orange optic on the end of the tube is so hot it singes his eyebrows. At 2100 degrees, the liquid in the glass blowing kiln pours like caro syrup, but avoid putting it on your pancakes. It would incinerate your breakfast and the pyrotechnics would probably burn through your cookware and table. Even so, the hazards are overblown with safety gear, a little training and the right tools. An average person can have a lot of fun and create impressive glass art. I had previously heard about glass blowing classes and it was on my bucket list. Early in December, a window of opportunity opened and I got a chance to give it a try. I confirmed that a blind person can leap through such a window and 30 minutes later walked away proud to have fashioned a unique glass object. 
We were in Lincoln City, Oregon, and visited a business called the Lincoln City Glass Center. Such facilities are a common tourist attraction on the Oregon coast. The blast glowing experience generally includes two principal production approach choices, and then several additional choices of specific possible formed objects. The project, production choices are to expand a blob of molten glass with air pressure, or to sculpt a glass form from a small piece of semi-solid glass, adding colors and shaping it with tools. In these days of COVID-19 concerns, actual blowing glass with your lungs has been replaced by using an air compressor to do the blowing for you. Really? How romantic is that? I signed up for the glass sculpting option, and I believe it turned out to be the most interactive and engaging choice. If you live in even a moderate-sized community, it probably has a glass-blowing business like the one in Lincoln City. Most businesses have probably never had the opportunity to teach the art to a person who is blind. Therefore, you can imagine my great surprise and relief to find that my ability to take part in the Lincoln City class was never questioned. In fact, they just assumed that I would be able to complete the required tasks. Later, I learned that one of the teachers has a visually impaired son, and this might have had something to do with it. All I know for sure is that I had no trouble and a wonderfully memorable experience. In a glass blowing workshop, several kilns are all fired up with several people sharing them. At least one is used just for reheating, while some provide reservoirs of molten glass and others hold the finished objects, which must cool off very slowly. People work in teams. One person may be keeping the piece hot and spinning. Another may be adding more colored glass while a third is using tools to modify its shape. After I donned the required heavy leather gloves, my instructor, Daniel Hogan, gave me a solid steel rod about five eighths inch in diameter and five feet long. As I pushed it into a kiln, kiln that held molten glass, he told me how far in to go until I had succeeded in getting a small blob of glass stuck onto the end of the rod. I then pulled the rod out, carrying it as he guided me over to a workbench where I laid the rod across two steel support rails. Daniel then took the cool end of the rod, turning it in a constant slow spin to keep the glass on the hot end of the rod. The rod stuck out past the support rails with the slowly spinning blob of near molten glass available for me to work on. At this point, the glass is so soft that if the rod is not kept rotating, the blob sags and the piece loses its symmetry. As he kept turning the rod, I used various tools to extrude the blob, transforming it into a long narrow cylinder that protruded from the end of the rod. Then I took over the spinning chore while he fetched and added more colored material to our base cylinder. At the top end, he added yellow and red. Farther down, he added spots of black, blue, and green. He then went back to the turning job and I used a large crimping tool to make a deep impression close to the end of the piece where we wanted it to eventually break off the rod. I used a sharp awl to pull each of the black, green, and blue spots into long streamers. At this point, the object had already cooled so much that the glass was of caramel consistency. It took a lot of force to move the point of the awl through the glass. Now it was time to go back to another kiln where I dipped the piece on the end of the rod into a huge reservoir of molten glass, 
to pick up a thick, clear outer layer. Then it was back to the workbench where Daniel had me finish the forming and prepare it for removal. I used a large wooden tool where we stood the supporting rod up on the end and Daniel handed me a blowtorch. He guided my hands to direct the torch at a specific location on the end of the rod. Heating it expanded the metal so that my piece popped off the rod. The glass was still soft enough for one last step. With the piece inverted and supported in some manner, he guided my hand to press a small steel stamp against the exposed end to flatten it and emboss it with the place of origin. Daniel then moved the piece into my cooling kin where it was kept overnight and I was able to pick up my work the next day. My shiny new finished piece weighs two pounds and feels wonderfully smooth and substantial in my hands. It is clear glass with a three-dimensional representation of a jellyfish-like sea creature with black, blue, and green tentacles hanging in delicate spirals from its center. The whole experience cost me about $85. One last comment. Over the years, all attempts on my part to be allowed to look at glass-blown art on display in the Tacoma and Seattle area have been very discouraging. I have consistently gotten the cold shoulder and very transparent, quote, you are not welcome, end quote, messages. We had a completely different experience at the Lincoln City Glass Center. After we had disinfected our hands, we were actively encouraged to touch everything on display. The experience alone was worth the visit to the gallery for they had shelves and shelves of glass blown vessels, glass blown floats of many colors and sizes, solid glass forms and abstract felt to be appreciated. If you have access to a similar glass blowing business, you may want to put this experience on your personal bucket list or maybe even make an organized group outing out of it. All right, thank you, Steve. So I'm thinking maybe we might want you to call in. Do you have the email yes. Zoom link? Yeah. Okay, yeah. I, I think that might be better. So yeah. while you're doing that, we're yeah. gonna go ahead and open this up to discussion. Zach, go ahead. I don't, I don't have a question, but it is interesting to know that someone is able to blow glass who's visually impaired. I think Frank's totally blind, right? So like, yes. I've always been interested in glass blowing myself. And I've always been kind of afraid to, uh, don't start chirping bird. Uh, I've always been afraid to do that because I like my fingers attached with less burns. So it's very yeah. fascinating to hear that this was done. And it, it definitely is inspiring. I agree, thank you. This is Reg. Descriptions in Frank's article are just fantastic of the gallery and of the process. Always enjoyed his uh, technical writing and his humor. And he contributes so much time and thought uh, to the news line and, and the stuff that he writes and has put so much out over the years. And I'm, I'm really glad that he's continuing to write for us. I think what I liked about this piece, besides the descriptions, which I totally agree with you were amazing, was that it was kind of a combination of Frank's artistic side and his scientific side, because he definitely has both and that really came through in this piece. Yeah, and I, I really loved his description of what he made, that the, just the, the jellyfish creature, you know, it's a little bit fanciful and, and a little bit real. 
<laughs> it was just mm-hmm. fun. Sure mm-hmm. made me want to try it. Yeah. Yeah. This is Haley, and and I I'm inspired to to, to maybe try this someday. But I went to the glass blowing factory in Tacoma and was nowhere close to as close as Frank was. But just sitting in the audience, you can you can feel the heat just in the audience. I mean, the whole room just. You know, it's like if you've ever been to Vegas and um, you've been outside when the volcanoes sort of go up, that heat that you feel, um, it's the same kind of thing when you're sitting in the glass blowing factory. So the fact that he was close enough to, to actually make something, <clears throat> it, it inspires me. Yeah, I think you said it was like 2100 degrees or something. Mm-hmm. Pretty hot. It's okay, Chris, go ahead. Okay. Um, I was very impressed because... Uh, not only did Frank show his great sense of humor and just the the particulars about how the glass was made and everything, but because I didn't ever know anything about blowing glass, the descriptions he did were just phenomenal for me. I really actually learned about it from the ground up. I think I would be a little afraid to to go into that much heat, (laughs) but I enjoyed the whole article. It was great. Denise, your phone's (laughs) unmuted. Did you want to say something? Yeah. I think the thing that really fascinated me was just, I felt like I was right there in the room with him. I felt like, you know, he was so descriptive in, in describing the whole process that I really felt like, you know, I was right there and that I could actually go do this because I love blown glass and I think it'd be fun to try it. This is Zach. Any chance that you recorded this for audio purposes? Well, we have a podcast of it. Yes. Okay. Okay. Go ahead, Linda. Yeah, I could just make a quick comment. I didn't go to this, but many of the PCAB, you know, Pierce County Association of the Blind people went to the Tacoma Glass Museum because maybe at what Frank had said, but they have opened it up now and they do allow people who are blind to go in there and touch things. I, I don't think they've gotten to the point where you actually make something, but John Halliday, one of the WCB members, actually was very instrumental in getting that uh, to open up for us here, make it more accommodating. That's all. Excellent. Thank you for that information. Okay, do we have any other comments before we move on to the next article? Don't wanna miss anyone. Okay, Steve, go ahead. All right, I'm gonna be reading from the spring issue of an article called I Choose Joy by Haley Eggers. Have you ever been in that place where you feel so alone with your blindness? Nobody around you, despite a full room, seems to get you or even see you. Circumstances appear as though they should be enough, but nothing heals the wounded heart you are so in touch with in that moment. Well, friends, let me share about my recent trip to Las Vegas. My bags were packed, my entire body screaming for a change of scenery, a change of pace, and some everyday demands to be taken off my plate. It was all about to come to fruition. That being said, and filled with excitement, I had no idea what a roller coaster ride my emotions were about to endure. 
After a long day of gymnastics competition and several Uber trips, I was ready to just sit back and enjoy a show. The entire sixth level and seven girls and their moms had decided before the trip to purchase tickets for a Circus de show. And my daughter, Sydney, was so excited. I had gone to this type of show before, but I still had some vision. I knew how amazing it was going to be and that my experience would now be very different as a totally blind person. After putting on something a little nicer, applying a full face of makeup, and putting on some killer heels that would later have me wanting to take them off and walk home barefoot, I was ready to go. My husband, David, did offer to attend with Sydney, knowing I may not enjoy it as much as I had hoped, but I insisted I go so that I could have some mummy-daughter time and not be the only mom who didn't accompany their daughter on this special night. Before the show began, while eating dinner with the group, I began to doubt my choice. Why were all these moms sitting around talking, and I was in a totally different spot in the restaurant eating my food? I know I couldn't see them, but I knew I knew they could see me. What were my expectations of them? And was it really about me stepping out of my comfort zone to go over and say hello? Was I making this about blindness when it had nothing to do with it? My sweet husband reminded me that sometimes I can miss visual cues, which leads me to make assumptions. Was I doing this now? And on to the show. As we all took our seats, girls in the front, first row and parents in the row behind them, I prayed that I would be sandwiched between two moms who I felt a connection with. As soon as we entered the performance area, we were greeted by the sound of babies cooing and laughing. Hmm. What was this? How did it fit into the show? And why were these babies coming in over the speakers? It wasn't until much later that I heard somebody mention that there were strollers on the stage. And as the show went on, the baby being present made somewhat more sense. If I was already confused before the show even began, what was I going to be in for? As the lights lowered and the crowd began to clap, I took this as a sign the show was about to begin. It became apparent to me very early on that making my grocery list in my head while listening to the quote, oh, that's amazing. Oh my gosh, can you believe they're doing it? Oh, this is crazy good and I'm so glad I'm watching this, would be the extent of my excitement. As the show continued and I was feeling so alone, I could feel the tears welling up in my eyes. What if somebody, another parent or worse, Sydney, looked over to see tears streaming down my face? How would I explain that? I pinched the bridge of my nose and opened my eyes wide, pushing the tears aside. There was one mom, Michelle, that I want to recognize. She was seated to my right, and as much as she was able, she did attempt to describe what was happening. That's a whole other conversation I was having in my head, by the way. What if I am becoming a burden to her? What if she is thinking, oh man, I wish I hadn't sat down next to Haley. I decided to have this conversation with her. I thanked her for being so generous with her time and for describing, but also wanted to offer her an out by telling her that I wanted her to enjoy her experience and not feel obligated to do so. This opened a door for her to ask me some questions. When we were willing to be honest and yes, sometimes vulnerable with where we are, 
it opens the door for people to know that they can ask the questions about blindness that they've been afraid to ask. As I sat there waiting for the next time Michelle would lean over with a brief but appreciated description, I felt my mindset change. Nothing around me had changed, but I knew it wasn't healthy for me to stay in that place of darkness and negative self-talk. We all know rabbit holes can go for miles, and I didn't want that. So, as I sat there, I began to use and appreciate my other senses and slowly noticed it changing my perspective, my level of, level of gratitude, and my own unique awe of this show. I could smell popcorn. It made me think of my son, Braden and how much he loves pop popcorn and how much I love him. I thought to myself, these are pretty cool, comfortable seats. I should settle in and enjoy the fact that I have nothing else to do but relax. No laundry piling up. Nobody's saying they are hungry. Wanting to know what's for dinner and knowing I'll be the assigned chef. I listened to the amazing surround sound of drums and singing, and I found myself being swept up in all of that magic despite not being able to see it. Most importantly, I was enjoying listening to Sydney laughing and cheering with her friends. She sounded so happy, and I was blessed to hear her delight in it. With such little effort and intention, I was able to shift my heart from the place of sadness, loneliness, and even bitterness to a place of joy, gratitude, and just being present. Not allowing my thoughts to go down the rabbit hole, think about all the other times I felt left out and take me to a place that I was saying, I hate this. This does not mean I will forever be rid of these feelings or that they are not valid. What I'm sharing is just my own experience and ability to acknowledge that it's okay to not be okay and not to put my feelings on others. It was very real for me and it hurt. My heart aches with the thought, blindness sucks today. Once I allow myself to feel that, I discover what would get me through it and onto the other side. One last thing in case you've ever felt this. Feeling not okay with my blindness in the moment and struggling to pull myself out of it does not make me any less of an amazing person. No need to compare myself to that blind person who always seems to have it all together, has awesome mobility skills, can cook like a chef, seems comfortable in their own skin, seems so confident all the time, etc. This is my journey, nobody else's. We are all human beings who deal with different, varying degrees of struggle. Maybe that person whom you have compared yourself to is only showing what they want you to see. What if they too are a person who plays the comparison game? Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Steve, for reading it so well. And thank you, Haley, for being so honest and vulnerable. I would like, I know Haley's with us today, so if anybody has any questions for her, obviously now is your chance to ask those questions. Okay, Chris, I'm going to take my point of privilege here because Go first. Go I first. am just, I was floored because I can't even tell you as a blind person who's been blind all her life and never seen anything before, have had so many moments like that. 
um, your kids, your 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 sister's swimming in the swimming pool, and you're sitting there on the outside, and everybody's having a good time, and you're just there. Oh boy, I can you know. There's tons of things like that, and getting yourself out of it is so important. And negativity is very easy to fall into. So I that was a great article. Thank you, Haley, for showing us that you know you're not the only one or you know that we aren't the only ones that you know everybody feels that way at one time or another so that was very cool thank you yes chris um go ahead it felt like Haley. it felt like you went through a whole journey a long journey through that evening i'm doing it all over again right now sitting here (laughs) crying (laughs) And and I, I got to thinking, I, I'm the same way. I wanted always to be the person who was comfortable in their skin. And I I happened to be non-multitasker, clumsy, you know. <laughs> and people just, I finally just have to say, I'm really actually quirky, not dignified most of the time. <laughs> and He's I awesome. had to think about that. It's It's joyful. So that's it. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, this is Steve Pierce. You know, I'm just the reader today, but I have to tell you, Haley, that was really unfair of you to make me read an article that causes me to cry as I'm reading it. So um, I would that just means say, a lot. I'm very sorry. Powerful, very, yeah, very powerful <laughs> piece. Very powerful. And this is Julie. And- I'll just be honest with you. And it's such a reality for those of us, and I think particularly, totally blind, to be honest with you, it's much harder in a crowd of sighted people or in goings-on. Nathan and I have talked about it a lot, that it's that eye contact. You know, people connect with eye contact. And if they can't see your eyes, somehow they don't think they need to connect with you. I've worked many years, and I'm an extrovert by nature, so that's even been harder, because if I could see, I'd be out there probably like you, Haley, going and talking to the whole world. I'd love to. That's who I am. So I've had to squelch that part of me, but what I've worked on for many years is not letting it define me, if that makes sense, Mm -hmm. just because I'm not interacting with people because they're not coming to me because there's a big crowd of activity inside, I'll call it sidedness going on. I really, I've worked on refusing to let that define um, that I'm significant or not significant, if that makes sense. Your article really hit a chord for me too, Haley. So thanks for writing it down. Thanks, friend. Appreciate it. This is Reg, being born blind and going to wrestling tournaments, going to boxing things, you know, to support family and stuff like that. I've sat there alone so many times and, uh, um, you know, not wanting to ask people, not wanting to interfere with their experience of the event and stuff. And it, it really hit a chord for me as well. You can either let it ruin your night or you can try to, you know, find a way to, you know, be there and, and be in the moment and be there to support the people that you love. It was a really good article. It's one of the best things uh, you've ever written. And, and thank you. You for know it. me, Reg. I wear my heart on my sleeve, and it's it's a strength and it's a weakness, right? And there's nothing like your teenagers to <laughs> help you confront the, any issues that you didn't deal with, you know, earlier on. And um, 
you know, being with the kids this year at the youth conference too, I mean, even as I sit here and listen to Steve, it's funny to hear someone read something that you wrote because it's a different perspective, you know, when you hear it. But even being with the youth this year at the convention, I don't know, like this article made me so much, so, you know, I had so much more empathy for where they might be at and trying to find that balance between Haley being someone who's further along in the journey and being there for the kids to say, um, you know, I believe in you and you don't believe in yourself and, and I'm going to, you know, push you past your comfort zone because that's how you're going to grow. And also the Haley that says, like, look, I still as an adult, right, you're, you're 14, I'm 48. And there's many of the same feelings that you have that I still have as a 48 year old. Um, maybe the difference is that I learned, you know, I've learned to deal with them differently. But um, thanks, Steve, for reading that. And thank you, everyone, for your, your comments. I appreciate it. And, and what I wanted to say, Steve, yeah, every year we do try to find uh, something to make you cry. That, that, that's our goal. Yeah, it seems to be working. <laughs> well, what I really, the moment that I really enjoyed in this article was, yes, you went through all these struggles, but then when you just let go and your joy came from hearing your daughter laugh because of her experience. So I really liked that moment as well. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Thanks. All right. Well, I guess we'll move on to the next article, Steve. All right. The next one is from the summer issue. It's a Cheshire Cat Interviews number 16 entitled Who Gives a Hoot by Heather Mears. Sometimes on a hot summer evening, I quite enjoy sitting on my back porch. The air is heavy and quiet, and I can hear all the gentle sounds of the night in my very own backyard. It was on one such night that I heard a great horned owl not that far from me. All was still and silent except for his call. Hoot, 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 hoot. I felt his eyes upon me, watching me with intrigue as he assessed whether I was in for a conversation. Indeed, I was. He said, I see you have some new ducks. Well, yes, I do. Sparkles, Luna, and Star. How did you know? They are new. I've been watching you for quite some time now. I know everything that happens in this neighborhood, but your yard is particularly fascinating to me. You have provided such an interesting habitat here. I can honestly say there aren't many like it. I wondered if you might tell me a bit more about it. Most people have such manicured lawns and use lots of chemicals to kill the weeds and what they consider pests. There seems to be an abundance of both here, which by the way, I greatly appreciate. I replied, I'm glad you do, but I honestly can't say I feel the same way about the weeds, ants, spiders, and occasional mice. Oh, <laughs> those are my favorites. I help you out with those. Don't you worry about that. I thought for a moment and then said, I really do love all the wildlife that visits me here. I may not be able to see them, but I am very aware of their presence. I too have been observing you for a while now and all the creatures who have felt safe and welcome in my yard. I frequently hear the hummingbirds clicking to each other in the trees. I was astonished one night when one buzzed right next to my face as I sat on my patio. He didn't even seem to mind that I was merely a foot away from him as he drank from the feeder hanging in one of my giant pots. 
The owl hopped a little with glee and said, Hoo, hoo, that was Jerry. He's a hoot. His buddies dared him to do that. And of course, he's always up for anything. This made me smile as I remembered how beautiful that moment was to me. I recalled asking myself if it was really happening and being amazed that, yes, it definitely was. Then the owl said, I'm Oliver, and I hear you are the night pixie. I answered, not many know that, but yes, I am. That's a story for another day. Most just know me as Heather. Ah, yes, named after the wild Heather of the Moors, I presume. Anywho, I know you, no matter what your name is. I've been watching you care for your chickens and impressed by some of the methods you've come up with. Those girls were a handful, and I know they will never forget the way you saved their lives last year in the extreme heat. Many others in your neighborhood did not survive. I said, that was pretty traumatic experience for us all. I lost Ruby and had to hold her in front of an air conditioner for almost an hour to bring her back. It was about 115 degrees that day. And after bringing them bags of ice multiple times a day, using an air conditioner and shade cloths, all to no avail, I finally just brought them into my guest bathroom. Yes, you heard me right. They stayed there for four days until it was safe to get them back outside and create a cooler coop environment for them. I have raised those girls since they were one day old and was not about to lose them. Oliver said, I love that little Ruby. She makes me sing Ruby Dooby Doo. She is such a firecracker. I remember seeing her run around with half an eggshell on her head like a bonnet when she was young. Punk Rock Chicken told me you have an agreement with them. Something about, about eggs and friendship. Heather, that's correct. I promised them the day they came to my home that my chickens would always be for eggs and friendship only. What I didn't realize at the time was how many friends I would make because of the eggs. Oliver, each of them has a role in the flock. I've noticed Phoebe is a protector and could probably be a linebacker if she wanted a football career. Penelope is definitely the guardian of all things eggs related. Clarabelle and Cleopatra are inseparable besties and fashionistas. And of course, Punker runs the whole crew with a quiet yet firm lady in charge manner. Ruby is her secondhand hand and sunshine committee, always making sure everyone is happy. She is quite the diplomat. I replied, they helped me out as well. One day as winter was ending, I went to check on them and do the normal routine of feeding and cleaning. And I found a large pile of eggs right in front of the door as I opened it. They don't lay eggs in the winter and the nesting areas are in the lock. Somehow they knew I was unaware they had started laying again. So they moved every single egg down to the door where they knew I would find them. This amazed me and filled me with joy and pride. Can you believe that? Oliver hooted a couple times and said, of course I can. Birds are extremely intelligent, even if I do say so myself. And I also have to say that dog of yours is quite the barky Barkerton, but he is good at hurting the chickens and defending his territory from potential predators. He takes his job very seriously. 
One of the girls chimed in, Penelope. We call him the chicken sheriff. Sometimes after a long, hard day, he is our bartender as well. We love Arturo. He cheers us on when we lay our eggs and sings with the sirens, even in the sleep. Oliver said, good evening, Lady Peep. Couldn't you be sleeping right now? Always a pleasure to be graced with your company. Peep, Peep winks and says, hello, Ollie. The pleasure is all mine. You know, I'm a bit of a rule breaker. I enjoy the night life around here, and it's good to get some time to myself while the others are sleeping, their little fluffy butts away. Have you seen the dragonflies lately? They are exquisite. They're so fun to watch, and they really like the closet tubs full of water. That new duck, Sparkles, thinks it's her own private bathing pond, but I know for a fact that many others use it day and night. Oliver is amused and says, hoo, hoo, hooey, lady. Do I detect a bit of jealousy? Don't get your feathers ruffled. You know there is room for all of us, and you will always be the most beautiful redhead I've ever seen. Those ducks are already helping fertilize and mow this yard, and you also know there are worms enough for all here. Don't forget the words of our favorite train mantis, Philippe Verde. Stay gentle, be kind to all, and help each other out. I only see him every once in a while, but that dude is so wise. I reflected on these words of wisdom and said, I have one last question for you, Oliver. Do we have bats? Oliver flapped his wings, and as he flew off into the night, I heard him echoing back to me. Absolutely. Say hello to the cat with the bow tie in the window. Good night, all. Thank you, Steve. All right. Well, I always feel awkward when my own pieces are being read as well, but I'll just open it up to the floor. Yeah, this is Haley. Oh, oh, go ahead. Nope. Go ahead. No, nope. I just want to say this is Haley, and I love your articles. I, you know, I'm happiest when I'm outside in my garden and with my animals, and I just feel like I'm there with you every every time you write an article that is so descriptive. Um, I, I just feel like I'm there. I'm on the porch. I'm sitting on the swing. I'm experiencing the whole thing. You know, I'm just there with you. And I, I just love it. It takes me on a day that maybe I'm a kind of a hot mess and not having a good day. It takes me to a more beautiful, peaceful, um, serene place. So I thank you for that. We definitely so have I. that in common. Thank you. <laughs> so do I. Anytime you write pieces about animals and you know how I feel about that. <laughs> and, you know, you're always writing about your conservation and attitudes and your ways of animals and doing everything the natural way. And it just I'm in the middle of the city and I have a little tiny yard and, you know, I don't get to have chickens and, and any of that. And I would love to be able to have hummingbirds and that kind of thing. But I live vicariously through your your animals. Retreat at Heather's house. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> this is Marilee. You make me uh, want to come to your home and just sit in your backyard. I've never heard of anybody's yard full of all of that amazing nature and God's beauty. So thank yeah. you. 
Well, what I have to say about that is kind of funny because anybody looking at my backyard would probably look at it and say, wow, this is a mess because I don't mow it. I just kind of let it overgrow and do its own thing. And so to the eye, it isn't necessarily beautiful like my front yard, but the critters love it. So this is Sherry and I love your article as well, Heather. And especially right now when I'm all cuddled up under a blanket and there's rain outside, <laughs> just to think <laughs> about sitting out on, on your back porch in a summer evening sounds, sounds really delightful. But I, I just love the, the way you write and your animals conversing with one another, et cetera. So thank you. Chris, go ahead. Okay. Heather, I have always loved... Your, the way you play with words and the way you play with animal sounds and with all other kinds of sounds, that is a true talent. Thank and you. I just loved it. <laughs> I love that particular piece. So there you go. And I'm muting now. So we will go ahead, Steve, with the final nominee. All right. And this is from the fall issue of Newsline entitled Train Music by Chris Coulter. I must have been born with the sound of trains playing their distinctive rock and roll music in my ears, my heart, and my bones. Of course, as a tiny premature baby, I didn't think about that. However, as time went by and I was no longer in the hospital in an incubator, my parents, my older sister, and I began living a normal life. I began hearing and paying attention to all kinds of sounds. Prominent among those sounds were trains. We lived in Tacoma from the time I was born until I was 12 years old. I found myself going to sleep hearing the trains coming and going, usually going somewhere far away. Their long whistles would echo for miles and miles. As I grew older, I didn't have as much of an inclination to pay attention to train music. I was so interested in music by the Beatles or some of my favorite folk musicians. Instead of listening to the sounds of trains, I listened to the music musicians who wrote songs about them. My grandparents lived in Everett, and whenever we spent time with them, I still heard trains because we were just a little way down the hill that ended in railroad tracks. We spent some time in Seattle, but Seattle was the, quote, big city. And I didn't like the noise of the up close and personal honking and braying of cars, trucks, and buses. Another long stretch of years and my own fading interest in trains went by while I was at the Washington State School for the Blind. I tried to knuckle down and grow up and do my schoolwork, but somehow I found myself daydreaming a lot. As graduation from high school drew near, I realized that it was time to stop listening to sounds for the joy of it. After my freshman and sophomore years at Everett Community College, I spent a year at the University of Washington. I became seriously interested in music therapy. Willamette University was the nearest school to offer a degree program in this field. After my junior year, I went to Oregon to finish my required five-year college program that Willamette had as its training for a degree in music therapy. At the age of 23, I received my Bachelor of Music degree in music therapy. I needed to intern in the field and I had to do the hard work of writing letters to various hospitals and institutions 
to find out if I, if I would be accepted. Eventually, I was accepted as an intern at a mental hospital in the western part of Kansas. I loved working on the addiction unit that was part of that institution, and I met some people who became good friends. Unfortunately, when I came back to Washington after the internship, I found out that the state of Washington was in a recession. Jobs for people working in the addiction and music therapy programs didn't have a lot of money to spare. After several years of working as a musician and singer, I found out that even the booming business of jazz singers and cocktail piano bars wasn't really in tune with my style of entertaining an audience. My mom and I went on the road together, and the best thing that came out of that experience was that I got to know my mother as an adult. We were very close during the years just before her death. In the last chapter of this narrative, both my parents died. Mom died in 1998 and dad died in 2007. My sisters and I lived fairly close to each other and my youngest sister invited me to join a church that she had attended for a while. That church and the communal house attached to it was a place of rest for my weary soul. That is where I met the man who is now my husband. John and I left Everett not long after we got married, and eventually we moved to Centralia, where we now live. We found an apartment that was much less expensive than other places we had lived in. The first morning as we were taking a walk, I heard a familiar sound. At first, it was faint. It was the rhythm of the rails, and it was the sound of their haunting, soothing music. I felt myself relax as I heard the nearby train. I didn't know I had missed the music of trains. I don't really know if I was born when the trains were running, but I go to sleep every night to the whistle and the rhythm of the rails. Thanks, Steve. Thank you, Chris. That was a beautiful article. Comments, questions? This is Sherry. Hi, um, Sherry. Hi there. <laughs> Chris, I love that article because I grew up like probably a hundred yards from a railroad track. Yep. And um, I mean, I, I know what you mean about it just feeling like it's in your blood and your bones. And so I could really relate well to it. Thank you, Sherry. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to talk to you, but you go ahead first, Steve. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, I, I think we could all kind of share some similar experience, but but I thought Chris expressed it so well. And my wife and I live in Stillicum, uh, just just down a driveway from the, the trains, 68 of them that pass every day. And and oddly, there's there's there they provide serenity, they provide comfort. Uh, it is Chris, it, it gets in your blood or something in terms of just the rumble. Um, to me, it's very satisfying, and I'm glad we live near tracks. And, and you captured it all in your story. But Steve, I just want to tell you that you reading that was a, a beautiful experience for me. That was great. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, I'll mute okay. now. Sarah, <laughs> go ahead. You can unmute. I just wanted to say that actually that brings back a lot of childhood memories. Yeah, we um we lived in a really, really old house that my grandparents owned. And every time a train would go by, the house would shake. 
And when I finally got to ride a train, it felt very similar, but a lot more, you know, violent. But I've always enjoyed trains. It just brings back memories. Makes me miss my grandma and grandpa, but it brings back the good memories. When we did move away, it was hard for me to sleep. I, did, I missed it. A lot. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks, Sarah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I would say also, I think I have lived in at least three houses that were close to train tracks. And I love the sound as well. It is very soothing to me. So thank you so much, Chris, for that beautiful portrayal. Um, any other comments before we get to the I final? Okay. Uh, this is Zach, by the way. Um, so I live next to Amtrak Station down in Lacey. And I lived there for five years. And I think one thing that Chris touched on that kind of gets unnoticed by a lot of people is once you move away from the trains, you don't sleep right for the like 30 days until you start to realize like, oh, this is why I'm not sleeping because you get so used to the trains coming through that your body kind of builds a schedule around it. And I noticed that when I moved away from Amtrak, my sleep schedule got super erratic. <laughs> and like, I think the whole having it in your body, having it in your, like in your, in your consciousness, I think that's a really big part of living next to a train track or even airports. So I appreciate the fact that you touched on that. Good point. Thanks. Thanks, Zach. That was, that was, uh, I liked writing that too. I mean, it just came off of my fingers onto the keys. So, you know, <laughs> thank you. Okay. Well, I think the time has come to announce the winner of your 2022 Reader's Choice Award, chosen, of course, by you, the readers. So, Reggie, drum roll. Da -da 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 -da. Go ahead. It's uh, Haley Agers. I choose Joy. Uh, All right. Yay. Thank you, guys. Oh, wonderful. Yay. That was the best. Thank you. So good. You guys, look, seriously, you don't even know how much I needed this today. So, the universe speaks, and I am grateful. I appreciate well, it. You were so sincere. That was such a beautiful, beautiful article. I just, I liked yeah, it. Thank yeah. you. Thanks a lot. Thanks, you guys. Merry Christmas to me. Yes. <laughs> Congratulations, Haley. Thanks, Sarah. <laughs> Haley? Well, Heather. Heather. I mean, we're, this is kind of the end. I mean, I, I guess we just want to say, you know, thank you again for everybody's participation and for joining us today and that we really look forward to another great year. And obviously we need your articles. Yes. Let's see, Pierce, just, just a quick word. You know, there's something about you teaming up with Reggie. The two of you are doing an incredible job. I mean, giving us themes, um, but you're, yeah. you seem to be, you're eliciting quality work oh, by all, the, all your writers, including those that we read today. It's just kind of staggering to me sometimes I do the final copy editing, in case people don't know, on the edition, and I just, each issue, and I clean up stuff and all that stuff, but but I look forward to that process because the stories and the articles and the poetry, and just like Haley's piece, something that's full of lessons for life. The job you two are doing, um, I'm in awe of, and I have, it's such a privilege to work with you both, and I look for great things happening in the years ahead. 
Steve, I'm grateful for your work. This is Haley, because if you're the person that cleans it up, I know that you're the one that does magic with my articles that need a lot of cleaning up. <laughs> I'll be sending you something to clean up very shortly. <laughs> Get out your This podcast was made in association with Washington Council of the Blinds Newsline Publication. You can contact us at the WCBnewsline at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Credit for this production goes to podcast producer Zach Hertz, editors Heather Mears and Reginald George, and we'd like to extend a thank you to Kevin McLeod at Incomputech.com for his use of the song Life of Riley. Thank you so much for listening and tune in for our next episode or check out previous episodes.